This episode is made possible by Partizan. When it comes to ride services, Uber and Lyft are top of mind in the United States, but in Southeast Asia, Grab is king. Grab is an Uber-like service that started out offering only rides, but now has grown to become a super app that covers payments, food deliveries, grocery deliveries, and many others. Started by Anthony Tan and Hui Ling Tan in 2011, and no, they are not related, eight years later in 2019, Grab is now valued at 14 billion US dollars, becoming the region's first decacorn, which is a term used to describe startups that have reached a valuation of at least 10 billion dollars. So how did Grab start out? The idea of Grab started with Anthony Tan and Hu Willing Tan. But let's talk about Anthony Tan first. Anthony Tan is the youngest of three brothers. Even before the success of Grab, Tan's family was already very wealthy. They operate Tanchong Motors, a publicly listed company in Malaysia, which is the franchise holder of Nissan cars in Malaysia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and Myanmar. The company is huge. It even has subsidiaries in property development and financial services. Anthony Tan was still studying at Harvard when he, along with Grab's co-founder Hui Ling Tan, who is also from Malaysia, came up with the idea. They came up with the idea when a classmate of theirs complained about how difficult it was to get a taxi in Malaysia, and so this ignited the idea. Both of them took action and drew up a plan. The pair based it on the idea of an Uber-like app for booking taxis. After completing the plan for their idea, the pair pitched it at the 2011 Harvard Business Plan competition, and it won second place and an initial grant of 25,000 US dollars. Along with this prize money, Anthony Tan and Hui Ling Tan pooled their personal capital to fund the realization of this business. The contest win not only got them the prize money, it also helped get their idea out there and attracted several angel investors. And so in 2012, Anthony Tan quit his position as the head of marketing of Tanchong Motors. And as for Hu Willing Tan, well, she had to go back and work at McKinsey and Company as a consultant. Apparently, during an event in Malaysia, Hu Willing Tan applied for McKinsey and Company even though she had no idea what the company was doing. She eventually landed a job there, and she did so well that the company sponsored her MBA education in Harvard. And as we all know, that's where she met Anthony Tan. But after completing her MBA, Hu Willing Tan needed to go back and work with McKinsey to finish her bond with the company, which is one of their conditions for sponsoring her education. She would eventually work at Salesforce for a while, and in 2015 would return to Grab and work as the COO. Going back to the launch in 2012, Anthony Tan and Hu Willing Tan launched My Taxi. It was still spelled as M Y T E K S I. In the early days, Anthony Tan shared what he needed to do to get his first batch of drivers. Anthony Tan arranged meetings with the largest taxi companies in Malaysia. He was quite optimistic that they would welcome him with open arms, but sadly, they didn't feel the same way. They hated the idea, and some of them even called it a stupid app. They told him that nobody will use that app, and that the taxi drivers would just steal the phones that my taxi would provide. One of them even told him to just let go of this idea and just to go back to the family business. But then. One taxi company gave him a chance. A small company with a fleet of only 30 taxis wanted to give it a shot, and this started the ball rolling. My taxi knew that it is in an industry where success relies on the network effect. The network effect is when an app becomes more valuable as more people use them. For my taxi, this means reaching a scale where it can be most efficient to customers. And so, my taxi needed to move fast and build presence in as many Southeast Asian countries as fast as possible. Because take note that Uber was launched in 2009. When my taxi launched in 2012. 
Uber was just one year away from entering Singapore, a key country in Southeast Asia. A year after its launch in 2013, MyTaxi launched in the Philippines, Singapore, and Thailand. When MyTaxi launched outside of Malaysia, they changed the name to GrabTaxi. In 2014, GrabTaxi entered Vietnam and Indonesia. GrabTaxi then moved its headquarters from Malaysia to Singapore in this same year. And fun fact, co-founder Anthony Tan would later on become a Singaporean citizen in 2017. Also in 2014, GrabTaxi launched GrabCar. Whereas GrabTaxi made it easier for taxi drivers to get passengers and for people to hail taxis, GrabCar was a clear copy of Uber, where drivers can now use their personal cars. And as GrabTaxi started to move towards providing other services aside from simply being a taxi-hailing app, the company rebranded. From GrabTaxi, it rebranded to Grab, which is a more versatile brand name especially since it can be applied easily in the many services it plans on providing. For its motorcycle taxis, Grab Bike. For carpooling, Grab Share. For last mile delivery, Grab Express. And for food delivery, Grab Food. Grab also introduced a redesigned logo, which is a simple sans-serif wordmark that makes use of dual lines which closely resembles roadways, and to which Grab explains represents the endless road of possibilities. Grab's move from Grab Taxi to Grab also signifies confidence that it has reached a level of brand awareness, enough for people to recognize what the brand is and what it stands for even without the hint of the word taxi. And as the years went by, Grab was indeed gaining ground on one of its biggest competitors, Uber. Basing on the trajectory of Uber and Grab, with both brands continuing to expand to more and more cities, it was only a matter of time until the two brands would battle it out. And it didn't take that long. As I mentioned earlier, when Grab was launched in 2012, it would only be a year away from Uber's entry into Singapore, which is a key country in Southeast Asia. The idea of facing off with Uber was quite daunting. From 2011 to 2014, Uber's value went from 60 million US dollars to 17 billion dollars. It was on a mission to build a dominating presence in as many cities as it can. It expanded into 100 cities globally at such a fast pace. But just because it has built a presence in a city doesn't mean it can gain market leadership. Uber has a recognizable brand, massive amounts of capital, a first-mover advantage, and operational expertise, one that they've been replicating for each new city that they operate in. And this leads us to one critical flaw in Uber. Because even though it's doing fantastically well in North America, it can't seem to understand that doing business in other countries may need to be more local. Time and time again, local competitors who have patterned themselves from Uber, they are using their knowledge of the local culture to their advantage. And this is how Grab fended off Uber in Southeast Asia, in Vietnam, Indonesia, and Thailand. While Uber's cars were stuck in traffic, Grab's own motorcycle taxis under Grab Bike were weaving in and out. Plus, Grab Bike's rates are also significantly cheaper, which appeals to the more price-sensitive market, which in Southeast Asia is a big chunk. Another example is in the form of payment methods. In North America, almost everyone has a credit card, but in Southeast Asia, cash is king. Grab understood this and allowed cash payments. Uber, on the other hand, took a while to do the same. In terms of marketing, Grab understood how important offline marketing was in the region. Here's one example. 
You see, in order to grow, Grab needed more drivers. But the problem is, you can't reach these drivers online. They shared how most taxi drivers didn't have an email address, and so there's no way to reach them but to meet them in person. And so what Grab did was to rent out small spaces in strategic areas where people would normally get dropped off and hail a cab. Grab also sought out areas where drivers would normally be found. In Malaysia, Thailand, and the Philippines, since taxis use natural gas, Grab put up kiosks in those gas stations. These kiosks were manned by Grab staff, who would then educate drivers about the benefits of signing up with Grab and eventually ask taxi drivers to join in. The staff also functioned as customer support centers for drivers who needed help on how to use the Grab app on their smartphones. At one point, Grab was actually the one providing drivers with smartphones. This is actually one of their strategies when entering a new territory. They give their drivers smartphones and allow them to pay in daily installments. Imagine that. And since drivers were still adjusting to their new device, Grab staff would help them with very basic things such as how to slide to unlock their phone and how to turn it on and off. The results speak for itself, really, considering how big Grab has grown. In terms of brand awareness, which Grab needed to build on, it partnered up with brands that people are already paying attention to and brands that have already gained affinity. It partnered up with brands like KitKat, Revive Isotonic, and Wonder Coffee, creating campaigns that boost both brands. In the Philippines, Grab partnered up with Globe, a major telco in the country, and ran a campaign through SMS. In Thailand, Grab partnered up with AirAsia. They bought up precious ad space in their meal trays, which now showed Grab's branding and an inviting message to passengers asking them to try out Grab instead of other taxis as soon as they land. Grab shared that for every country, they have local marketing teams who are hyper-local to a region and to a language. Uber, on the other hand, took a while to adapt to this and it cost them dearly. To be fair, Uber did try to localize, but their inability to do it fast enough allowed competitors to gain significant market share. As a result, Uber began its retreat in a couple of regions. In 2016, Uber sold its China business to local rival Didi Chuxing, which is backed by Tencent and Alibaba. Didi Chuxing also invested in Lyft, Uber's rival in North America. Uber entered China in 2014 and was reportedly losing around $1 billion a year in China. And despite these losses, Didi Chuxing retained an 87% market share. And so Uber sold to Didi Chuxing and in return got a 17.5% stake in the company. After its retreat from China, it then sold to local operator Yandex in Russia in 2017. And in March of 2018, after spending $700 million in the region, Uber finally waved the white flag and sold its Southeast Asia operations to Grab at an undisclosed value. As part of the deal, Uber will withdraw from Southeast Asia, selling its rideshare and food delivery businesses. And in return, Uber will take a 27.5% stake in Grab. So why did Uber do this? Well, its retreat from China, Russia, and Southeast Asia allows Uber to focus on more lucrative markets. And quite honestly, their defeat isn't a complete loss since they often leave the region with a stake in the competitor's company which is still expanding on their own. Because obviously, Grab and Didi Chuxing are still bound for growth. And so, Uber gets to ride on their success. During that time, in 2018, Uber was also trying to lessen their losses to make the business more attractive to investors as it prepared for its IPO in 2019. Another possible reason for the Grab and Uber merger is SoftBank. 
SoftBank may have influenced the consolidation of Uber and Grab since the investment firm made a sizable investment in Uber in 2017. Since Grab and Uber have been draining each other out with price wars, consolidation makes the combined company much more positioned for success. Even with Uber out of the picture, Grab is still facing the threat of another rival. This time, one that has embraced the hyper-localized strategy that has worked out well for Grab. This company is no other than the Indonesia-based Gojek, which started out as a motorcycle taxi hailing service. Gojek was co-founded by Nadia Makarim, who is actually a former classmate of Grab co-founder Anthony Tan at Harvard Business School. Makarim admitted that the idea of Gojek was inspired by Grab's success. Gojek was launched in 2009 with only 20 drivers. But in 2015, three years after Grab's launch, Gojek launched their own app, Kickstarting Hypergrowth. Unlike Grab, which has made expansion as its top priority and has already entered all Southeast Asian countries in under seven years, Gojek has prioritized depth. You see, in Indonesia, Gojek isn't just a motorcycle taxi hailing app it has grown to become what they call as a super app. One app to rule them all. One where multiple services are bundled and made conveniently accessible into one super app. Gojek Super App allows users access to services such as ride hailing, payments, food delivery, online grocery shopping, and even services such as requesting a massage service, a hairstylist, booking your doctor's appointment, buying tickets, car wash services, and there are so many other services that you can use using this app. And that's why it's called the super app. At first glance, you may underestimate the size of Gojek simply because it only has a presence in Indonesia and has only started its expansion to Vietnam in 2018, Thailand, Singapore, and the Philippines in 2019. But then, take note that Indonesia is perhaps the prized jewel of the region as it comprises 40% of Southeast Asia's GDP. The fact that Gojek dominates this country is a big enough threat for Grab. And Gojek isn't lacking in funding either. If Grab is backed by SoftBank, Gojek is backed by Tencent, JD.com, and most recently, in 2020, Facebook, Google, and PayPal have joined in. By 2018, Gojek was valued at about 5 billion US dollars, surpassing the combined market cap of all transportation companies in the Indonesia Stock Exchange. The following year, in 2019, Gojek became Indonesia's first decacorn, valued at $10 billion. Grab and Gojek have already begun locking horns in 2019 when Gojek entered Singapore. Naturally, it starts with a price war. Gojek launched a predatory pricing promotion and Grab responded with lower fares. Gojek launched this for a while but then didn't see the results it was aiming for at such a high cost. And so they are now exploring other ways that make customers tick. Despite the threat of Gojek, Grab maintains significant market share in several countries. In Singapore, it holds 80% of the market. In the Philippines, Grab has a 90% market share. Gojek has since made moves in entering the Philippines when they acquired Coins.ph in early 2019, but they've yet to run their ride-hailing operations. In Vietnam, Grab has a 72% market share, while Gojek, which is called GoViet, in Vietnam only holds around 10%. I'm based in the Philippines and there's no Gojek super app here yet, but just by looking at what Grab is trying to do with their own app, I kind of have a clue as to how it works. Because here, by using the Grab app, I can have food delivered with Grab food, hail a ride with Grab taxi or Grab car, have stuff delivered or picked up via Grab Express, and most importantly, Grab Bay. You see, fintech is a big part of Grab's path to profitability. Right now, you can send and receive money and pay your bills via GrabPay, but it isn't stopping there. Grab plans on providing loans and insurance services via its app. 
In Singapore, it has already rolled out a pay later option where users will only be charged at the end of the month. In 2018, Grab invested in the OVO platform, which is the leading digital e-payment platform in Indonesia. So this tells you where they're headed. And Grab has already gained a foothold in Japan with a partnership with Japan Taxi and the Middle East with their partnership with Kareem. Users get to use their Grab credits in these ride-hailing services. All of these moves by Grab all point towards making Grab profitable and more attractive to investors in time for its planned IPO. Grab CEO and co-founder Anthony Tan shared that it will go public as soon as it becomes profitable. But the pressure is on Grab because a part of their deal with Uber is that Grab needs to go public by March 25, 2023 or else it will be required to pay Uber $2.2 billion if it fails to do so. Whether Grab is able to do that or not, we'll have to wait and see. And so that's about it guys. Now you know about the brand origin story of Grab. Just so you know, there's a video version of this episode on our YouTube channel. Be sure to like and subscribe. If you enjoyed this show, it would mean a lot if you can tell your friends about Brand Origins. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, so you can say hi to us there as well. This episode is made possible by Partizan. Visit PartizanStudios.com My name is Chris. I'll catch you again next time for another episode of Brand Origins.